If you got your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4 is the text this morning. We're speaking on the hidden blessings of persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4, hear God's word starting in verse 12. We're going to read all the way to 19. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But catch it, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, catch it, you're blessed because the spirit of glory uh, and, and the spirit of God rest upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And and if the righteous is scarcely shared, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while still doing good. Well, Nip Ripkin, he arrived and he immediately was trying to set up interviews to kind of interview the persecuted church in China. And as he was about setting up these interviews, this young man about the age of 25 ran up to him, was eager to share all that God was doing in the house churches of China. As he sets up this interview and this young man walks away, the house leader of this church walked up to Nick, grabbed Nick by the arm and said, yes, this young man is going to do incredible things for the kingdom of God in the future. But right now he cannot be trusted because he has not been sent to jail yet or he has not been persecuted. Words are a little strange to us, a little over the top, a little extreme. Because what this man is saying is he is saying that that one's spiritual maturity in the house churches of China is proportional to their ability to experience persecution. But if we stop and think, to really think how they came to that conclusion, I think we'll see that it really matches up with the book of First Peter. Because what the house churches are saying is they're saying persecution is the testing ground to prove somebody's true faith. They're saying persecution is this rite of passage that that shows the world here is somebody who loves Jesus, who is living for Jesus above all else. And what they're really saying is they're just picking up the themes of 1 Peter, specifically as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Do you remember what Peter said there? He said, those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin. What was he speaking about? What he's saying is persecution draws this line in the sand in which it it forces you to one side or the other. 
In other words, I, I, I can't straddle the fence when persecution comes my way. I can't pick if I'm, yeah, I'm kind of with Jesus, kind of not. No, no, persecution forces me to one side or the other because it comes at a cost. So, so Peter is saying this, this line of persecution, it, it causes us to make a clear and decisive decision whether we're going to follow Jesus or not. Again, we can't straddle the fence. Persecution's coming my way. I have to make a decision. Am I willing to follow Jesus and bear the cost? Or did I never really wanted to follow Jesus in the first place? You, you see, these house churches are saying the same thing. They're saying this persecution is this line that, that, that is drawn in the sand for them to be able to be the testing ground to prove somebody's true faith. That They're saying here, here it, it testifies to the reality that, that here are people who are willing to say, I am going to deny myself and follow Jesus. And yet, isn't that the decision we're all called to make? Persecution just highlights it. Persecution testifies to that reality that here are people who have made this bold decision. And what's so interesting about that decision, that, that because of that, because it's drawing this clear line, that the persecuted church is saying, yes, this is a gift to be persecuted. This is a blessing. In fact, what's so crazy about this church, in the, in the Chinese church, these house churches, is that those who, who spent years and years in prison, they weren't bitter about the experience at all. And those who, who might, have, uh, might see prison in a couple years or even in a couple weeks, they didn't seem to fear prison at all. And we ask, how can that be? You know why? Because they saw it as a gift. Persecution is a gift. It's, it sounds crazy. But is that not what every New Testament writer speaks to? This reality that this is a gift? We see Jesus doing it on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who, who, who receive insults and are persecuted, who, 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 who have all sorts of evil spoken against them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we hear those words and we say, Jesus, are you, are you serious? That we should consider it blessed when we're per persecuted for the name of Jesus? And Jesus says, yes. This morning, I, I, I want to speak on this topic, the hidden blessing of persecution. But before we do, I think it's important for us to pray for the persecuted church around the globe. So will you go to the throne with me one more time as we call on God's name? God, we do pray this morning that you would be able to stir within us a passion for your namesake and your glory. God, that we would be a church that, that feels the, the hurts and the pains for our brothers and sisters across the globe who, yes, have looked at the beauty of who you are and have given their lives to be able to proclaim that gospel message that you have given them. God, would you embolden them? Would you give them stronger faith? Would you strengthen them? Let them see the comfort, the God of all comfort this morning. 
as they even meet this morning from places they probably didn't meet last week so the authorities wouldn't show up at their door. God, give them. Give them the ability to, to proclaim this message without fear. And oh God, let us learn from them. Let, let us see their faith and let it stir our own. God, let us see their boldness and let it stir boldness within our own lives that we would be able to be people who are free to speak of this great message that we have. God, let them see, let us see their passion. And would you give us that passion as well? That we would see that this message is so true and real. That we would give our lives for the sake of the gospel as well. God, be with us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, what we notice immediately from our text is Peter's words are very similar to Jesus's. Specifically in verse 13, as he tells us that this is a blessing to be able to endure persecution. But before we get to the blessing, we have to deal with verse 12. And what does verse 12 speak to us in this passage? Peter says in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You see that word test? So the the house churches were on to something saying persecution is the test. But he goes, don't don't act like this is something strange happening to you. And and notice his logic in that, that, that kind of train of thought. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. In other words, you should see persecution as a normal part of the Christian life. Don't act like it's something strange taking place in your life. No, you you should expect persecution to take place. And, and, And many of us hear those words and we almost balk at them, but why? Peter's not the only one who has told us that. Remember Paul's words in, in first, uh, 2 Timothy? Anybody who wants to live this godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. And Peter and, 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 and Paul are saying the same thing Jesus said in John 15. He said, a servant is not above his master. That if they persecuted me, Jesus speaking, then they will persecute you. And over the years, we still, people tell me these verses don't even make sense. I remember sitting in a, in a Bible study with a well-known, well-respected pastor, and he's sitting across from me, and he said Paul's words, he's lying to you. And I'm thinking, how, how can you say those things? That those who live a godly life will be persecuted? And he's saying, no, that's not true. And maybe they've come to the conclusion because they think persecution is maybe imprisonment or they consider it uh, maybe losing your life for the sake of Jesus. But, but notice Jesus' own words. He says, when they insult you, when they say all kinds of evil against you, even Peter, when he's speaking of this, they, they were yet to be persecuted to death. So we need a bigger definition of persecution. And let me tell you, if you wake up every morning with the desire to serve Jesus with the totality of who you are, I guarantee persecution will eventually end up at your door. Might not be imprisonment, might not be death, but persecution comes in all shapes and sizes. 
And, and maybe they've come to this conclusion because, again, they've, they've kind of looked at it, it, it in this way of thinking, well, if, if, if it's not death or it's not imprisonment, then, then it shouldn't happen. But yet, again, if you just wake up with this desire to serve Jesus, eventually persecution will come to your door. I'm reminded of Brian Stevenson. If you know who Brian Stevenson is, you know he's the author of Just Mercy, where the movie Just Mercy was written after him who's made it his desire to seek biblical justice out in, 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 in the, the world. And if you look at this man, you understand here's a man who's been harassed on, on many different occasions, who's had several bomb threats to his place of business, who's had to endure numerous death threats for seeking to overturn wrongfully convicted people. You would think the world would be all about that, but they're not. So let me tell you, if you desire to pursue biblical justice, even in our day, I guarantee you the persecution will show up at your door. They'll say all sorts of things against you. Or imagine you being at the Thanksgiving dinner table. You have your non-believer extended family there, and you begin to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And you tell them about this exclusive nature of Jesus, that the only way to heaven comes through Jesus in his death. Some people won't mind it. But others might be angry with you. They, they might stop talking to you. Again, persecution, it might not be imprisonment to you, but if you wake up with this desire to, to live for Jesus with the totality of who you are, Eventually, persecution will come your day, to your door, and it might be short-lived, but it's still persecution. And yet, Pierce says, expect it. Expect this cost. This is why Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you must pick up the cross. And you have to understand, in Roman times, the cross was thought to be something you don't even speak about. It was written in their moral code that, that you shouldn't even mention crucifixion because of how horrible it was. But yet Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up this cross. A cross that was a symbol of shame. A symbol of death. A symbol of torture. Of persecution. And yet, Peter turns to us and says, I need you to expect this persecution. And not only do I need you to expect this persecution, but now I need you to see it as a blessing. Is that not crazy? Is it not crazy to think that we're called to look at persecution and say, yes, this, this is something that we should expect and something we should see as a great gift. And yet we understand that Peter is not the only one who spoke on that idea. Because we even see it in our own passage. You just look at it. Look at what it says in verses 13 to 14. But, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice. Rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are, catch it, blessed. Because of the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Peter says rejoice. Count it a blessing when persecution comes your way. 
And in fact, just pause for a second, and and we need to remind ourselves that that Peter is saying what every, almost every other New Testament writer writes about. Almost every other New Testament writer speaks of this idea of seeing persecution as a gift. Notice what Paul says as he's speaking in Philippians 1.29. He says, for it has been granted to you granted, gifted to you by God's grace, his favor to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but catch it, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a gift. Paul would go on in Colossians 1.24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Or James' words in James 1, consider it pure joy, brother, when trials come, many trials come your way. You see, over and over again, these New Testament writers are trying to allow us to see that there is a gift when persecution comes our way. That's why in Acts chapter 5, verse 41... When we see that the new church finally gathered together, Jesus has been resurrected, the new church is starting, this first century church is excited, they've seen the growth, they've seen people come to Jesus, and yet the first time persecution comes is in Acts chapter 5, first time they're beat up for their faith, and listen to what they say, then they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They get beat up, they get harassed, and they're throwing a worship service. The question that should behoove us to ask is this, why are they so excited in seeing persecution as a gift? That's the question we need to ask. If we're seeing all these passages, almost every New Testament writer speak of this idea. Should we not ask ourselves, why do they see it as such a gift, as a blessing? Why are they rejoicing and shouting and thanking God that they've been counted worthy? Several different reasons. Let me give you at least four this morning. And the first thing we see in this passage is that persecution guarantees God's presence with them. You just look at this passage and look at what it says in verse 14. In fact, notice what it doesn't say. Notice verse 14 doesn't say, because you're persecuted, it's a sign that somehow God has forgotten about you. That somehow God couldn't handle the enemy. That somehow God was taken aback, he he was thrown off, he was surprised by it, and therefore he left you, you were on your own. It, It doesn't say that at all, does it? It says the exact opposite. It says when you're persecuted, you rejoice. Why? Because the Spirit of God rests upon you in verse 14. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying you can rejoice in persecution because God's spirit rests upon you. It shows our unity with Christ, our companionship with Christ, that we're tied with him, that he's with us amidst the hardship. Do you see that? 
It's the first reason we can rejoice is because it guarantees God's presence in our lives. That we're, do, we're doing something right. And we share in that, which is the second reason. Why can we rejoice and, and see persecution as a gift? The second reason is we get to know God in a way we wouldn't get to know God without that persecution taking place. And same thing with suffering. The idea that I, I'm able to, to, to grow in my intimacy through the persecution. In fact, this was what Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3. He says that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Catch it. And I may share in his sufferings. Have fellowship in his sufferings, Paul writes. Even becoming, uh, even becoming like him in his death. To somehow obtain the resurrection of the dead. You see, what Paul is pointing to is this idea of intimacy, that, that, that he's able to know Jesus in a new way because he's able to experience what Jesus went through himself. Let me, let, let me illustrate it for you. Imagine George W. Bush. Imagine his relationship with his father the first day he steps into office. There's a new level of intimacy that, that, that's able, that he's able to have with his father. Did George W. know his father before that? Yes. But on that first day, he's able to feel the weight of what it means to, to be the leader of the free world. So I understand my dad in a new way. He's able to see the experience and, and know the stress that his own father went through because he's experiencing it himself. He knows the cost of leadership. Because he experienced it himself. He knows the cost of, the, the, the cost of what it took a, a toll on his health and a toll on his family because he experienced itself. And therefore, this, this, this level of intimacy that grows between him and his father because he's experienced exactly what his father experienced. And I imagine in this intimacy, there's a new level of gratitude. That he understood the cost of leadership, of ruling the, 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 the country. And there's this new level of gratitude for his father because he is experiencing that toll for himself. And yet, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, when I'm suffering or I'm being persecuted, I just, I, I'm able to taste just a tiny bit of what it took for Jesus to make me his own. There's a level of gratitude, a level of intimacy, and the same thing takes place in our own lives. When persecution shows up at our door, we're able to taste just a tiny bit of the shadow of what Jesus went through to make us his own. And therefore, we, 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 we rejoice in persecution. You know, I see this is what, this is what my, my, my Jesus went through on my behalf. And he did it so faithfully. And he did it without sin. And he did it to make his church his own. Do you, do you see? So, so the first reason we rejoice is because it guarantees Jesus' presence in our life. The second reason we, we, we were able to rejoice in persecution and suffering because it's this idea of growing in our intimacy and knowledge, being able to taste what Jesus went through while he was here on this earth. Thirdly, we do so because it, it marks us as his disciples. This is exactly what the the. the, the Chinese house church was kind of speaking to. Suffering serves as a way to confirm that we are his disciples. 
what Peter was speaking to back in verse 4, this line in the sand, it creates this ceasing of, of sin as they make that decision to follow Jesus. And this church is rejoicing that it confirms their own salvation. Romans 8, 17 would speak to this idea as Paul would write this. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, notice what Paul is saying there. He's, he's saying this idea that, that, that what the first century church said in, in the book of Acts if Jesus said that, that servants aren't greater than his master, that persecution is going to come their way, then, then, then what does persecution confirm in their lives? That Jesus really is their master. That what he was saying was true. That, that because he suffered, then you're going to suffer. So therefore, when, when suffering came at their door, it was a way to confirm that, yes, they were really a disciple of Jesus Christ. That they were living for him fully. That they were obedient to his commands to even bring the persecution on. It was a way to confirm that they were children of the Most High God. So they were saying, yes, we rejoice. This is an affirmation that we are his children. They hated him, they're going to hate us. Did you see what, what, what he's saying? And then lastly, it sanctifies us. How can we rejoice in persecution? Because it's a way to make us more holy. As Peter speaks to this idea in verse 15, but, be, uh, but, but before he, or rather, he, he speaks to it in verses 16 to 18, but before he gets to this idea of persecution sanctifying, he speaks to us in verse 15. He says, if you're going to suffer, make sure you're not suffering for doing evil. But let, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or a meddler. Rather, suffer for doing good. This is what marks us as the blessing. But notice what he says in verses 6 through 18. Now he speaks of this blessing of, the, of persecution as a way to sanctify us. Verse 16 says this, Yet if anyone who suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if, righteousness is, if the righteous are, are, are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It's an interesting couple of verses, but we need to understand what Peter is doing there. He is answering a question that he believes his church is going to ask. He's answering a question that he believes we will probably ask. And the question is this. Why would God allow his children, his own children, to be persecuted while those who are persecuting them go unpunished? Seems backwards, right? And I think this is why so many of us have a problem with persecution, because we've bought into this idea that, that just because we're obedient to God's commands, then somehow God should protect us. That, that, that we, if we're doing good, then God should be with us. He should protect us. But yet, Scripture says the exact opposite. He says, because they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute you. But that's the question he's trying to answer. He's saying, hey, the, the, the church is probably wondering, what, why, would, why would God's own children suffer when the evildoers are the ones who are not suffering at all? 
And there's almost this desire to say, well, if, if that's true, maybe I should be, the, be on the other side, right? If, if they're the ones who seem to be winning, shouldn't, shouldn't I switch sides? But notice what Peter says. He says, no, no, no. Have you not heard that, that judgment begins in the house of God? And, and what Peter is picking up is the words of, of, of Ezekiel and, and Malachi, and specifically Malachi, this idea here that this judgment begins with, with the house of God, us. But this judgment looks a little different for the people of God. It becomes like a fiery trial. It's a judgment that refines. It's a judgment that, that purifies his church. It's a judgment that sanctifies his church. So Peter is saying, no, you, you, you don't understand it, that, that God, it, it begins with, with his church and what he's doing in this persecution. He's, he's, he's sifting his church He's refining his church. He's, he's allowing his church to wake up from their slumber and see that there's more to life than living for the material things of this world. He's saying, I, I need to shake my church so they see that they get their eyes stuck on eternity. And persecution has a way of doing that. What I find so interesting, if you begin to pray for those who are persecuted with them, they say, we don't need your prayers. We're going to pray for you. That the American church would wake up from their slumber. That they wouldn't bow to the idol of materialism anymore or consumerism. So, so, so what this church has seen, the blessing of persecution, because it's, it's, it's God's refining, it's, it's, it's a refining fire. He purifies his church through persecution. But notice what he says. There's this even a stronger argument in what he's writing as he quotes from Proverbs 13. He says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, what is he saying? He's using this argument of lesser to greater. He's saying, if this judgment for God's house begins with us and it's difficult and hard, how much more? How much more will it be difficult and hard for the unrighteous and the unbelievers? He's saying, if this is, is hurting you, then, then what you need to see, then it's going to be way worse for these evildoers. Because their judgment is not a refining fire, it is a fire of condemnation that lasts for all of eternity. So he's saying, don't get it through your head that you want to switch places for these people. No, they have it way worse than you. So count it a blessing. And then he concludes by saying, hey, if it's, if it's this way for, for his church, that he's refining you, then, then what should you do? then you should obey, then you should obey, that you should obey. Everything he said in that warning statement, that it's worse for the people outside the church, was to encourage his church to pursue Jesus even more. He concludes with the verse 19, what does he say? Therefore, let us who, who suffer according to God's will, what, what should we do? We should entrust our souls to a faithful creator while still doing good, while doing good, in the present tense, continually doing good. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, entrust your lives to the one who is faithful. He goes beyond that. He says, entrust your souls. In other words, he says, persecution might even take your life, but you still trust the faithful one. Why? Because God's got you. He's got you. But what, what can man do to you? They, they, they can take your life, but that's just an ushering you into God's presence. Don't fear that. 
He's saying, count it a blessing when you endure persecution. And as you see it as a blessing, as a way to grow closer to your God, as a way to sanctify you and purify you, as a way for you to be able to confirm that, yes, you are a follower of Jesus, keep entrusting yourself to the faithful one. Live as free people, as Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. How does it look for us to live as free people? Because we don't fear death. Because our hope is a living hope, as we'll learn about next week. And is that not how? Presently, the house churches live their lives in China under persecution. They live as free people, entrusting their very souls to the one who is so faithful. In fact, I'm reminded of the story in closing of this young lady who was housing the, the house church at her place. The authorities came to her door and they asked the question. What are you doing in this place? We're going to seize this house for you if you continually allow these people to meet in your house to worship Jesus Christ. And she says, well, you're going to have to take that up with Jesus. Several years ago, I trusted Jesus and I gave him this house and I said, you use it for your purposes. And the authorities are a little thrown off. We can't take it up with Jesus. We don't know where he is. So we're going to deal with you. So we're going to kick you out of this house. We're going to seize your home. You're going to be homeless. You're not going to have any food. And she says, well, that's great. I am free then to be able to trust in my God to provide for my needs. I am free to be able to trust for him to provide my daily bread. And they're getting a little bit more angry, the authorities at this point. And they're saying, well, then we're just going to beat you. And consistent with her answer, she says, well, then we're free to trust God for healing. Well, then we'll just throw you in prison. She said, well, then we'll be free to be able to preach the gospel and, and, and set our captives free. That they would be able to hear the good news and be free as well. That we would be able to plant house churches within the prisons. We're free to be able to do that. And they're, now they're getting very angry with this lady. And say, we'll just take your life. And again, her answer was consistent. Then we're free to be with our God for all of eternity. We're free to be finally at home. Do you see persecution as a gift? That you would be able to live free lives as well? Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but this is the power to bring salvation to all of mankind. So church, Keep obeying. Keep entrusting yourselves to the faithful creator. Keep giving your, your whole selves to the totality of being obedient to all God has given you. That you would live out this book as free children of God because we understand that our king is worthy. Worthy of our entire life. And let that persecuted in church inspire us to have the same passion and faith and boldness. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your church and I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful that you are the risen Christ. That, that we stand here and, and, and proclaim the greatness of who you are. 
that you are a God who is sovereign over it all, that you are writing your story throughout history, that you are saving souls from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and you are gathering your church as the family of God to stand triumphant with your son. God, let us leave this place with that on our minds. God, let us live for you with the totality of who we are, not ashamed to proclaim the good news to our friends and our family members. Oh God, we long for them to come to saving faith. We long for them to taste and see that the Lord is good because we have tasted and seen how good you are. So God, even this week, give us boldness to be able to proclaim your message to those who need to hear it. As we go throughout this holy week, let our minds be focused in on what it took for you to purchase us, the gift that it was. Let us look to the cross and let us embrace the cross that we would too daily pick up a cross to follow you. God, let people get saved this week by our boldness to be able to, to speak to them of the greatness of who you are. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.